Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Modern History HSC podcast. My name is Blake Hamilton, and today we're going to be looking at the national study of Soviet Russia. We're going to be starting off with looking at Bolshevik ideology uh, and communism, which you hear people using these buzzwords all the time, but they never go into any detail as to what it is and it's always a little bit more complicated than I think people's emotions that they attach to it, especially people who are a little bit older. Um, then we're going to be looking at the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, how the Russians get out of World War One, the um, policies of war communism during the Russian Civil War, and then finishing off with looking at the NEP and how the new government is looking to try to survive. Um, my guest that I have here today, which I'm going to be um, having a bit of a chat with, is Scott, Sophie, and Thomas. And they're all going to be specifically focusing on one of these areas as we do a bit of a deep dive. So I'm going to start off by getting them to say hello. They're all reoccurring guests at this point. So I don't know, they might have a catchphrase by now. We'll, we'll find out. So Scott will start off. Yeah, hello, this is Scott. Um, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to talk to you about Bolshevik ideology. Excellent. Thank you, Scott. And Sophie? Um, hello again, everyone. It's Sophie. And yeah, I'll be speaking about the Treaty of Brasitovsk and basically the reasons for it and the result of it. And yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And Tom? Yeah, hello everyone. My name's Tom, back again. Um, I'm pretty hyped about this one because this is my, the Russia and Soviet Union topic is, would have to be my favourite topic and the, this sort of section is the best part of it in my opinion. Excellent. Loving the energy, Tom. Good stuff. But you're going to have to wait because we're going to start with Scott. So if I'm going to um, maybe set up the ball for Scott to hit it out of the park is where are we? We're in the um, tail end of World War One, where these empires are really duking it out. And if World War One is the clash of empires, the end you're going to see all the, these empires um, walking away with these like wounds and scars, and they're they're on a decline. And Russia goes through perhaps one of the most dramatic changes as of, uh, as a result of World War One. So, at this period of time, we have the Russian offensive on the Eastern Front going quite poorly. We have the Germans in a very strong position, and the Tsar, who has taken, I guess, his initiative to the Eastern Front, um, is performing very poorly as well. So a lot of criticism is falling to the royal family that has been ruling Russia for the last 300 years, the Romanov dynasty. And they also have their own internal problems at home. Um, that's probably something for another podcast. But if we're going to summarize it, the Romanovs are on the way out and the Bolsheviks, who are a new political party, are not going to waste this perfect crisis. So, Scott, who are the Bolsheviks and what is their plan? 
Uh, well, the Bolsheviks are a party that basically represents the workers and the peasants of Russia at the expense of the upper class, the um, bourgeoisie. Uh, what they believe in is a end goal of a stateless and a classless system known as communism. And they do this by um, appealing to the majority, which is the peasants and the working class. Cool, excellent, Scott. Like that's a good way that we can get an idea of communism, what the appeal is. It's gonna work very well in Russia because the majority of the people are peasants. Um, but they don't like copy and paste Karl Marx's ideas, do they? They change them a little bit. Yeah, so um, Karl Marx come up with a method of achieving communism and he put the um, put them in their kind of stages um, and to follow each stage, he said you would eventually reach communism, but he never said exactly how to achieve them. And this was when Lenin had to develop his own theory known as um, Leninism. This is where he had to apply Marxism to Russia's current position, which is where the majority or the working class um, has a lot of anger towards the upper class and um, the minority. So what he has to appeal to is achieving that equality between um, the working class. But in Marxism, there was one of the stages is capitalism where the working class that well they didn't really like capitalism because it's the same as it was before so lenin had to find a way of achieving communism by not going through capitalism and that's exactly what he did he skipped capitalism and went straight to socialism um which was obviously not what marx had planned in Marxism, so. Excellent, good work, mate, that you're hitting the nail on the head that Lenin has, I guess, I guess, uh, analyzed the situation. He doesn't agree that the Russians need to go through capitalism. Marx's original idea is that capitalism is essential when you're going from, say, like a feudal or a monarchy sort of society because you need to build up your resources if you're going to have all these public hospitals and public schools and universities and roads um like that's not going to come from nowhere so you, you got to have capitalism first and then you'll slowly socialize kind of like australia today and then his hypothesis stretches out that eventually everybody lives in this beautiful utopia and um probably insinuating that I'm a, 
that you could assume it's a little bit jaded because even though we throw around the word communism a lot, there isn't a record in modern history um, of any nation ever achieving communism. It's always a goal that's a little bit too far to reach. And it has to do with the people who are at the top leading the charge or leading the revolution. And what did Lenin Scott think his role was, or him and his mates, the Bolsheviks, what was their role in the revolution? Well, um, Lenin's idea of what he has to give to the people was peace, land and bread. Um, meaning peace, no more wars, no more um, conflicts with countries, including their own. Um, more land, because you can't obviously grow without land. And bread, meaning food, because um, food was always a, an important pillar in a civilization. So he believed that he had to offer those to the people in order to reach um, communism and have a stable um, country. Yeah, and so he has this simple message and that gets to the heart of that the Bolsheviks have this dictatorship uh, of the proletariat now. What does that mean? That essentially means in a nutshell that Lenin thought that he could achieve his plans with his short message, which you've brought up and explained, um, by him and the Bolsheviks being in charge for a temporary period of time. That was always the original plan, but human greed and desire for power always seems to get in the way. I think that should be enough for our Bolshevik ideology. And now we're going to be moving into one of the first actions of the Bolshevik government, which is the Treaty of the Brest-Litovsk, which comes back to Scott's point that he was making, which is that one of the promises was peace. And World War One still going on for the Russians, and the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk is going to try to solve that. But... I'm going to leave that for Sophie to give us a bit of an overview. Yeah, um, so the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk was a peace treaty and it was signed on March 3rd, 1918 between the new Bolshevik government of Soviet Russia and the Central Powers that basically ended Russia's involvement or participation in World War I. Um, I guess you could also say that it was caused by the threat of further advances by the German forces as well. And the result or I guess conditions that this caused was it took away 34% of Russia's population and 50% of its industry. So yeah, it had quite an effect. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this before the recording that Sophie's given us a good overview that this is about gaining peace, getting out of the war, um, and the Russians give up 
tons of stuff people land resources coal all the stuff that they're going to need it's like the cost is the cost is um is huge and they're going to do reparations as well um why are they doing this sophie um well i guess because the um treaty sort of gave russian territory to germany it was more of like yeah it just sort of showed the effects of it for russia and basically the loss of what they had yeah just it did have quite a large effect on them but yeah yes that is true and but we still haven't gotten to the heart of the question that if you were a new government and you've made this treaty like this looks super bad like if if you're the leader of a country and you just like give all this stuff away and again we have to get ahead around this because this is going to be one of the like one of the potential questions is this about survival for the russians are they in a position from what you've been looking at over the last year or so are they in any position to do anything else other than sign this treaty um i feel like they would be but yeah i'm just not too sure that's all right that's all good we might pass it off to see if someone else might be able to come in and support you on this response. Tom. Yep, yep, I'm here, sir. I'm ready to jump in. All right, so realistically, at this time, there was a huge German offensive into Russia. Um, Lenin literally moved the capital from Petrograd. He had to move it from Petrograd to Moscow because he was afraid that Petrograd would get taken by this German offensive. And realistically, if the Germans had have kept pushing through Russia, they would have like had a good chance of um, destabilizing and probably even like removing the Bolsheviks from power. So it was more of a way of getting you know room to breathe, allowing them to survive, you know, prepare for the inevitable civil war later on. Um, you know, he gave uh, the Bolsheviks gave up a lot of stuff in signing the treaty like land um you know industry agriculture all that sort of stuff but realistically what they got out of it was just the ability to um rebuild and you know support lenin's new idea of communism in one country you know stabilizing the the bolsheviks in power in russia during that time yeah it's it's a consolidation play isn't it yeah. And it's interesting that you were like bringing up this point, like bringing up these points about like the Germans taking um, uh, Petrograd and having to move the capital that only perhaps maybe months earlier, it was the Germans who facilitate a armored protection of Lenin to get to Moscow or to get to Russia to be a part of the revolution they like get him there in time they know he's going to be such a destabilizing factor um it's interesting that it's going to be like they set up their own their own challenge 
for the future, but at that period of time, they can see that the Tsars are destabilized and they know Lenin's so volatile and Bolshevism could take off. That's like, yep, let's ship him off to let's ship him off to Russia, see what happens. And it's interesting to think that all that sort of stuff would have been in the background whilst they're signing this treaty, that the Germans would have just been absolutely cheering with their decisions and their plan. They're, they're probably thinking they're playing 4D chess. It's like, we caused the revolution, and now the revolution leaders are so weak that they have to sign this horrific treaty um, on their part. It's just fascinating. On that um, note, though, it yeah. did end up coming back to bite them in terms of the fact that the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, with its um, severe consequences for Russia, was used by the Allies when making the Treaty of Versailles for Germany later on. I'm glad you did bring that up. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the irony comes back to get you, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, we're going to move now into looking at war communism and the NEP. So we've signed the treaty. World War One's over for the Russians. Um, I've got a couple of our one of our other students who are putting in some quotes at the moment that I just want to include to this because they're taking the time to do it. This is from Mark. Uh, the treaty shocked Russia, yet, as Lenin said, all the alternatives involved the immediate collapse of Bolshevik power, while the treaty merely put it at grave risk and danger. Very good. We can definitely include that as a bit of evidence. But this kicks off a civil war in Russia, which is going to kill more people than World War One. So how do the Bolsheviks survive again, Tom? They're, they can't be killed, they can't be removed. Um, so the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk was sort of a deviation away from, I don't know, Bolshevik ideology and like communist expansion and whatnot. But in the Civil War, they implemented war communism, which basically involved the um, like a heavy, heavily centralized economy, so and requisition of all the grain from the peasants, you know, taking it away. Really, it really taxed the peasants, but it enabled um, the Bolsheviks to have a really strong control of the Russian heartland, where most of the industry was, most of the agriculture was there, and they were able to sort of hold the whites back from you know, wiping out the Bolsheviks out of Russia. Um, uh, Tom, before you keep going, for new listeners and even just for the people who are listening now, who are the whites? Um, so the whites, it's realistically, it's basically just the enemies of the Reds being, well, the Reds and the Reds being the Bolsheviks. And the whites were sort of made up of heaps of different um, groups who all sort of opposed the Bolsheviks, like even socialist parties were part of the whites. Um, they had a lot of support from foreign nations, so France, Japan, America, Britain. They all sort of assisted in the um, white movement against the Bolsheviks. So it was really, really heavily stacked against them. But in the end, they ended up winning and it was the first sort of major victory of communism over these other nations and it sort of assisted in the Bolshevik consolidation of power in that way. 
Excellent. Cool. So let's keep going and let's move into the NEP. All right. So while the while war communism did, you know, heavily bring about the red victory in the civil war, uh, it made a lot of a lot of peasants and um, citizens within um, the USSR made them um, brought about a lot of uh, a lot of anger, dissatisfaction with the Bolsheviks because you know the um, you know all all the industry sort of fell, and while the the army was really um, prospering in this time, there was a famine and whatnot that wiped out. I think like it's that's only rough, but it's between three and ten million deaths were as a came about as a result of this famine from all the grain requisitioning and the centralized farming and that sort of thing and like even some of the more um, loyal members of the army such as the um, Kronstadt sailors they, they had a rebellion against like against the Bolsheviks as a result of the sort of things that came about from war communism um, there was another rebellion, the Tambov Rebellion, um, which involved a lot of guerrilla warfare. But the biggest threat of that was the fact that it was led by Alexander Antonov, who was the leader of the Socialist Revolutionary Party, which was sort of the biggest competitor for the Bolsheviks within the within Russian politics. And so I've got a quote here by a historian the last name Christian and it, that is a government claiming to represent the people now found itself on the verge of being overthrown by that same working class the crisis had undermined the loyalty of the villages the towns and finally sections of the army it was fully as serious as the crisis faced by the Tsarist government in 1905 and February 1917 and so that's a good quote I just wanted to point that out <laughs> It's a good summary of like what we're talking about, this survival that they're hanging on for and their their own supporters are turning against them because they're focused on their survival. Yeah, and so like with the Treaty of Brestotosk, we see they sort of deviate away from their um, Bolshevik ideology in order to, you know, survive within Russia. And they implement this policy called the NAP or New Economic Policy. And what it meant was a cease to grain requisitioning. Um, it allowed peasants to work, um, work and open small work in and open small businesses. Uh, reintroduced money, and um, it basically just allowed a, you know, a drop of capitalism within Russia, which allowed the people to sort of get back on their feet, build up a little bit of wealth, um, and that sort of thing. Um, as Bukharin puts it, we are making we are making economic concessions to avoid political concessions, and we can tell that the NEP um, was really good for Russia and especially their economy. As by 1928, the level of agricultural and industrial production had returned to that of pre-World War One, so great effects for the Russian economy. Yeah, and this is just removing the strict uh, central planning that's going on. It's allowing a little bit more like free market to decide, people to have savings. It's like all of these are positive flow-on effects, um, but it's going to cause some rifts within the party. 
Um, we're going to leave it there. We've covered lots of heavy topics. Um, we're going to be picking up next time to be looking at Stalin, which will, again, jump over a lot of stuff. Um, but we've got lots of time, lots of lockdown time to be able to go over all these pieces of information. So thank you again, listener, for tuning in and listening to these guys. Be curious, ask questions, not always get it right, but on, uh, I think, most occasions, they knock it out of the park. So we're going to give a chance for everyone to sign off, starting with Scott. Thanks for tuning in. I hope we see you next time. And Sophie? Thank you, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, I hope you learnt something from this. And Tom. See you, everyone. I'll see you on the next podcast. Um, I hope you found it interesting. Um, And I also hope I wasn't too boring with all my um, in-depth facts and analytics of it all. (laughs) No, it's good quality, mate. All the information we're bringing in, I think people who are listening to this want that level of detail um make sure you uh like subscribe if you haven't already hit that subscribe button so you can get our regular updates um we're now on apple Podcasts, so if you can leave us a review pump us up in the algorithm that'd be really good um i'm now going to go have my other interview with pewdiepie (laughs) um but yeah thank you for joining in and we'll see you next time thanks